And a very good afternoon on this Thursday, January 28th. We got a lot, a lot going on this Thursday afternoon. And as always, we're here to try and, well, try to make some sense of it all. Uh, The biggest headline on this Thursday, it's back to school for more kids in the province starting next week. Nearly 300,000 more students returning to the classroom in both London and Ottawa. That will be on Monday. And that will bring the total to just over half a million. A little more than half a million kids in Ontario now allowed to return to in-person learning. Now, obviously, this is great news for a lot of parents particularly those who have been doing the juggling act once again, who have been struggling with online learning, doing their own job, and of course uh, the job of uh, raising kids and uh, being a parent. So welcome news for a lot of parents. And they are promising today some enhanced safety measures with this announcement. But is it enough? That's the big question. We're going to ask our education expert, Annie Kidder, about that. She, of course, is CEO of People for Education. And this news comes as the COVID caseload is unfortunately back on the rise here in the province. We're back up over 2,000 cases again today, reporting 2,093 new COVID cases. Oh, and uh, one more number for everybody, 61. That's where Canada ranks when it comes to the world in our pandemic response. That's right, we're sitting at number 61. That, according to a group known as the Lowry Institute, who ranks New Zealand... At number one, number one in the world. And for more on this new world ranking, we're joined by Dr. Joe Vipon. He's a Rocky View General in Calgary. He is also the co-founder of Masks for Canada. And he joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Dr. Vipon, good afternoon. Nice to have you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, And before we start, I just want to say that uh, the views I present are mine alone and not those of Alberta Health Services or my colleagues in the Department of Emergency Medicine. All right, fair enough. Uh, Canada ranking at number 61, Dr. Vipon. Uh, are you surprised that we're kind of that low, or does that seem maybe uh, about right in relation to what else has been going on around the world when it comes to COVID? Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're not doing great. Look at our numbers. Look at, uh, look at uh, the, the places that are doing the best. The places that have done the best have really shot for zero COVID. What they've tried to do is eliminate the virus from the landscape, and then when it pops up, have a massive effort to to put it back down to zero. That's a very different strategy from what what Canada has done, which essentially is um, we have to learn to live with the virus, and therefore we're okay with a bunch of people getting sick and a bunch of people dying. So it's just very different approaches, and and I think it's pretty clear which one has worked. Yeah, New Zealand sitting at number one, as I mentioned. Uh, What have they done so right specifically, do you think, Uh, doctor? uh, What can we and others learn from New Zealand, do you think? Well, many of the countries that are doing very well uh, have the advantage of being islands. So we don't don't have the ability of changing our geography. Um, But when when you're an island, you can really control people coming in and out of your country. Uh, It's much harder when we have, like, the world's largest undefended border um, with one of the world's worst um, COVID uh, um, uh, countries to the south of us. So we have a couple things that are innately by geography against us. Um, but the other things that other countries have done, uh, which has been a little bit different than us, I think the first thing would be um, the precautionary principle. So the idea that, you know, if you don't know exactly what the best thing to do is, you do it at, to the extreme. So 
Um, for masks, for instance, those countries that have, have started using masks earlier have done better. Um, those countries that uh, uh, started doing masks have also evolved from going from just cloth masks to surgical masks. And some countries now, everybody's wearing N95s, are being produced by the government and distributed. That's a far cry from what <clears throat> what's happened in, in our country. The other general principle that's different is anticipating and uh, uh, problems rather than reacting to them. Here, we've very much tended to say, um, you know, we want to keep the economy open. We're not going to do any restrictions until things explode in our face. And then we're like, oh, my gosh, and, and put in a bunch of restrictions that have tended to be deeper and longer than they would have needed to be had we been more anticipatory. So I think those are the two um, big uh paradigms or, or big uh, uh, ways of thinking that are different from what we've done here. Would it be fair to say to use maybe a swimming pool as an analogy in New Zealand? They just dove into the deep end. They went to right in in Canada and some other countries that are maybe a little lower on this uh, survey of pandemic uh, response that we kind of dipped our toe in the water or kind of went in, uh, waded into the shallow end first? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a reasonable analogy. Uh, the other thing I think that you can see differently is that they um, did, did you get a sense that, that, like, before everything kind of hit the fan here, that everybody was thinking, well, it can't happen here because X, Y, and Z. Like, Canada's different. I think many of the countries that uh, have found themselves in this place really had this attitude of, uh, well, we're different from Italy. We're different from New York City. We're different from China, and therefore it's not going to be as bad. Um, and, and then we were surprised when it was just as bad or worse than those other places. Yeah, here in Ontario, Dr. Vipon, uh, our numbers have been overall trending uh, downward. As I mentioned off the top, we're slightly uh, up today. Uh, how are things where you are, by the way, in Alberta right now? Yeah, don't worry about that one day. It's really important to look at seven-day averages and trends. Uh, there's going to be variability in, in day-to-day numbers. So that's that, that's not anything to, to, to let your hair on fire over. Okay. Uh, really watch the trends. We've been doing really well in Alberta. We put in our uh, severe restrictions on December 7th. We've been very lightly opening them up over the last couple of weeks. We reopened our schools to in-person learning um, near the beginning of the month. I think it was January 11th. And then a week later, we started to allow um, uh, one-on-one um what would I say, personal hygiene type things like getting your hair cut or um, uh, massages uh, being allowed, uh, all with masking. And, and so our numbers have been trending very well. And the big question right now is, is the variance. So uh, despite the fact that our trends are going in the right direction, we're finally below 5% uh, percent positivity. Um, you know, everything's trending in the right direction. Uh, the real concern is if the variants take hold in our in our, our landscape, it's just going to, to to flare up again. Think of it as a we now have the fire smoldering. There's no longer flames, but it's smoldering. Um, but what happens if we throw a bunch of paper on the fire? Uh, you know, it can flare back up very quickly. And so that's, um, I think, why uh Dr. Dina Henshaw is being cautious and in, in, in starting to reopen. Yeah, we're expecting some uh, new modeling from our province, from Ontario, to come out at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And the concern is uh, similar here. It's a uh, variance. Uh, so you do believe that these variants, they've got the potential to, to really spike our numbers again, doctor? Yeah, it comes to this uh, concept called the RT, which I know we've talked about before. It's the transmission rate. It's how many 
people one person will transmit the virus to. If it's more than one, that means that uh, there is growth in numbers. If it's less than one, that means it's decrease in numbers. RRT in Alberta right now is around a 0.9, so our numbers are trending lower. We know the new variants innately add about 0.4 to 0.7 to um, whatever the transmission rate is now. So we would go from trending nicely downwards to rapid growth if they start to go. We would go from an RT of 0.9 to 1.3 or even uh, um, 1.6. So that's a massive difference. And so we really need to keep the variants out. And that's why there's all this talk of uh, eliminating interprovincial travel. Because if we do um, get the the variants um, starting to grow in one place, say it starts to grow in Alberta, for instance, you really don't want those Albertans being able to come over to Ontario and and seed the fire there. So um, that's why there's uh, all that talk right now. So do you think Canada, are are we doing enough, Dr. Vipon, when it comes to battling these uh, COVID variants? Uh, Do we need, uh, as you mentioned, uh, more interprovincial travel restrictions, more overall travel restrictions? I mean, our premier has certainly been talking about that, Premier Ford, over the last uh, week or so uh, about basically an outright travel ban on uh, non-essential travel. Well, Atlantic Canada has had that that uh, that restriction in place. It may not be that it's a ban, but it may be an enforced legal quarantine for two weeks. And that would certainly make a difference to whether people are going to be going from from place to place. I, I know, if, uh, you know, uh, uh, many people would not just travel over the border to B.C. if they had to do a strict quarantine for two weeks uh, for my province. So, um uh, we know that the Atlantic Canada has had that, that res- those types of restrictions. Manitoba just put them in, I believe, yesterday or the day before yesterday. So it's starting from a province-by-province province, um, level, uh, but there is also talk about having that being put in place at a, at a federal level. So it'll be interesting to watch as that uh, it gets discussed. Yeah, Dr. Vipon, uh, do you think that we're at, it seems as if we're at a real precipice right now, particularly in this uh, second wave? Again, here in Ontario, just announced we're going to have more kids returning to class next week. Uh, our mayor, John Tory, here in Toronto, said yesterday it's time essentially to start talking about reopening. Would you caution when it comes to uh, moving on these things too quickly, particularly with these uh, variants present that we just spoke of? Yeah, I think as far as schools go, the, the, the paradigm is, because schools are so important, they're so important for the functioning of our, of our economy, they're so important for, for kids uh, as far as mental health and socialization go. So the, the paradigm is you want them to be the last to close and the first to open. So in, in a lot of ways, I think that's good that we're starting to have that. My kids have been in class for two weeks um, the, the most important thing is when you reopen the schools, you really have to have better policies in place to prevent transmission. Um, and so I, I, I've seen that with Ontario, that they're now starting to mask in grades one to three. That was announced today. There's going to have more in, um, asymptomatic testing. <clears throat> the other things that really need to be put in place in order to allow these to be opened up safely is a focus on ventilation. In a perfect world, every single classroom would have a ventilation assessment by an engineer to determine whether the ventilation is adequate. And if it's not adequate, then um, uh, changes would be made either to the HVAC systems or opening windows or other ways or filtration to allow for the safe reopenings of those classrooms. Um, And and hopefully at some point we're going to start to acknowledge the importance of ventilations in these kind of institutions. 
mentioned uh, masks. You, of course, the co-founder of uh, Masks for Canada. Before I let you go, uh, it's been in the news the last day or two. Uh, what your mask is uh, made of is uh, more important than ever. We're learning uh, more about that. You mentioned some governments are actually uh, supplying their residents with the N95 uh, mask. Do we need to get there, uh, Canada, as a country? Uh, what is your recommendation when it comes to what kind of face mask you've got? It's important to recognize that um, from the beginning, cloth masks and even surgical masks, those simple procedure masks, the blue ones that you see people wearing, um, were never intended to protect the wearer. Those were designed to, to protect the people around you as source control because we knew that asymptomatic spread was a thing. So if you were walking around in society, how are you going to keep yourself from contaminating all of those around you? And that's what those masks were designed for. Now we're seeing more of an interest in using masks as PPE or personal protective equipment. And the way to do that is to um, put in some of the measures that have been recommended. So some, some places are recommending doubling up your masks. That increases the amount of filtration. Making sure that you have a third layer within the mask, like polypropylene or the simple paper towel, to make sure that there's a paper towel in the middle of two layers. And then, as you've mentioned, other countries are going full on for the disposable N95 or equivalent. Um, and this is all an effort to change the masking from source control to PPE. All right. Dr. Vipon, great conversation as always. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Really appreciate the input. Thanks for having me on. All right. Stay well. Dr. Joe Vipon, the co-founder of Masks for Canada. Well, there's been quite a bit of renewed talk and some confusion surrounding your pet in COVID. So let's welcome in our buddy, Cliff the Vet. He joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Dr. Cliff, how you been? I'm uh, I'm very good. How you doing, Jeff? I miss you. Well, likewise. It's uh, nice to hear your voice. It's uh, been a little while, and I'm glad you could join us because, as I mentioned, there is some confusion surrounding people, their their pets, uh, what they're uh, allowed to go to with their pets and such. And let's start just, uh, I saw this the other day, about COVID and your dog, because you and I have talked on and off that uh, dogs were immune from COVID. Now we're starting to think that's not necessarily uh, the case. Where do we stand when it comes to Fido and COVID? Yeah, so good question. They've definitely picked up a very small number of dogs that come from households that actually have COVID, and they were able to uh, test those dogs, and those dogs also came back positive. But the interesting thing is, is one, they didn't really show any symptoms, and the next day they tested the same dogs, and the dogs repeatedly came back negative. So basically, they can catch the virus, but quickly their immune system fights it off. Now, that's assuming your dog doesn't have, you know, an immunodeficiency problem or is dealing with cancer or chemotherapy, something like that. But basically, dogs that are healthy can't really get COVID, but they can act as surface carriers, which I think is, uh, is important for today's topic. Yeah, carriers, but can they be spreaders, do we know? Um, we believe so, yes. So dogs would be considered what we call fomites, which is basically like surface contact carriers, meaning, um, you know, I kind of explain it like if you had COVID and you wanted me to wear your jacket, I'm not going to wear your jacket, right? Like we're supposed to stay six feet apart. I'm certainly not going to wear your shirt because your shirt could be carrying the virus for a few hours. And dog's fur is essentially the same thing. So they can be carriers, but not sort of clinically uh, infected by it. 
All right. So what is your advice uh, for those that uh, have dogs? Uh, I know in Quebec, uh, they're under curfew there. But uh, one of the reasons you can leave your house, obviously, is to walk your dog. Dog walkers are considered an essential service here in the city of Toronto. So if you're out and about uh, with your dog, what's your best advice? Um, I think the best advice is to still keep the six-foot distance from uh, other two-legged mammals. Um, and I, I would hesitate having dogs interact with one another um, just to be safe because we, we know, you know, that person may be carrying COVID, but they're not sick. They don't realize it. They haven't had a test. Possibly the dog is there for carrying it on their coat. They then rub up against my dog. I hug my dog a half an hour later and, and then I become sick. These are all a whole lot of ifs and maybes and possibilities, but you know, the numbers are only slowly improving. So I think, uh, you know, it's not essential that your dog cuddle up with another dog. So let's just uh, let's just keep it in the family. All right. Here you. I hear you. I wanted to talk about pet groomers as well, because there's been uh, some talk as to whether or not they should be considered an essential service, because there are quite a few people that are concerned about their dogs at Cliff when it comes to, you know, just not smelling good and looking good. But if certain breeds, certain dogs don't have regular grooming, they're susceptible to things like skin irritations. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's definitely some medical benefits to regular grooming for your dog. And I think This is going to be a a slightly uh, complicated answer, but very quickly, yes, I do believe groomers should be considered essential services, but there's a few asterisks to that. First of all, you still need to decide as a pet owner if going, taking your dog to the groomer is essential for the dog or not, or if you just want them to look nice. It's no different than going to the hospital. The people in the healthcare field are, of course, essential workers, but I'm not going to go to the hospital for a, a simple cough or cough or cold, other than to get tested. Maybe, um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try and do telemedicine. So, if we make groomers essential services, then we still have to second guess, you know, what what risk we're putting them in because there is a risk to these groomers, and I don't know if they understand that. Yeah, I guess it comes down to essential or non-essential. That's the talk, it seems, surrounding most things uh, these days. And, uh, you know, for some dogs, this can be essential, as uh, we mentioned with uh, things like uh, skin irritations. And also there's a lot of talk uh, about toenails and, of course, uh, them growing and some dogs having mobility issues, Cliff. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's probably easier to give your dog a bath than it is to uh, to trim their toenails, certainly depending upon the dog. I don't even trim my own dog's toenails. I bring them to the clinic because my team is better at it. And it's a struggle. And I'd rather not be that guy who fights with his dog to give it a, a mani petty, you know? So, <laughs> um, uh, and, and the nails, you know, if they're moderately long, they can cause a bit of pain in the, in the digits, in the fingers and toes, basically, especially if your dog has arthritis. And if they get, uh, if they get too long, they'll actually grow into the pad, especially with cats. Um, so, these are things that veterinarians are allowed to do if they're long and if they're getting to a point where they could cause a problem. Uh, and it would be much easier to have a groomer do it sort of, and it's a lot cheaper, um, to have the groomer do it before the problem uh, exists. So there's no doubt that there's medical benefits to, to dog grooming. All right. Is there any sort of, I don't know, rule or guideline when it comes uh, to clipping your your dog or your cat, your pet's uh, nails? I mean, I'm always so concerned about, of course, going uh, too far. Yeah, it's very tricky. If you have a dog with uh, white feet, it's a lot easier because the nails are therefore sort of semi-clear. And you can actually see the tissue, the, 
the, the quick, we call it, because it bleeds quickly, um, that you can avoid. Um, now, some of those little kind of nail grinders and Dremel-type situations, now they should be specific for nail trims and don't use your, uh, your average uh, Dremel from the hardware store. Those things can actually work well versus regular clippers because you can take off like a few millimeters at a time. But you basically have to just go slow. I mean, there are some great videos on YouTube that I'd recommend people checking out because there's some tricks regarding determining where that quick is uh, if your dog has dark colored feet and then therefore the nails are black. Um, but here's another reason why uh, let's make the groomers essential so that they can they can do what they're trained to do and not not hurt the dog and therefore the dog then has to go to the to the veterinarian anyways. So. Um, yeah, we need to make them essential. All right. Uh, by the way, you call Manny Petty for the uh, dogs uh, and the cats. Uh, I prefer paw cure. Give them a paw yeah, cure. Yeah, paw cure. That's true. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> Cliff, thanks as always. Really appreciate the time and good to talk with you. All right. Stay safe. Thanks. You as well. There's our friend Cliff the Vet. The Ontario Chamber of Commerce has released their annual economic report today. And in light of COVID, it, of course, is of particular interest as it looks at how the pandemic has affected certain regions and sectors. And joining us now is Rocco Rossi, the Chamber's CEO. He's on the line and is on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Rocco, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for shining a light on this, as always. Well, thanks for uh, being here. Uh, what is the Chamber of Commerce and what have you uncovered in this uh, latest report? Well, not surprisingly, business confidence levels are at uh, record lows, uh, lower than at any time that we've done the survey and we started over a decade ago. Uh, 21% of uh, businesses saying they're confident uh, in the economy. But when you dig a little deeper, as you said off the top, this has not been an equal opportunity destroyer of business. Um, there is no question that small businesses, uh, restaurant, retail, things to do with entertainment, tourism, the travel industry have been particularly uh, hard hit. Uh, and so we need to keep that in mind as we're thinking about government policies to get us out the other end. Is there a sense that, uh, you know, essentially I think you're talking about the hospitality industry, a lot of those uh, businesses you just uh, mentioned. Is there a sense it's going to be harder for them to come back uh, post-pandemic whenever that uh, may be? Or do you think that there's maybe going to be, you know, some people believe there's a pent-up demand here for entertainment and to get back to a restaurant or be able to travel once again? Well, you know, interestingly, at the end of the last global uh, pandemic, the so-called Spanish flu of 1918 and the end of World War I, uh, you had the so-called roaring 20s as people with pent-up uh, demand went out there. But um, clearly, this is going to be uh, a slower process for many sectors, and, and those higher interaction ones, the hospitality is, is foremost um, among those, which is why, you know, access to capital uh, for those is going to be so important. The moment you let, and it could be as many as 200,000 businesses across Canada go bankrupt, that kind of scarring makes it harder for things to bounce back at the end of the day. So better to spend some, keep people, uh, keep people afloat, that's number one. Number two, we've seen clearly um, that there is a massive digital divide in this province. 
those that have been able to uh, to go online, to do their business online, who have access to broadband, have done far better than those who don't. Uh, and it's not just business, it's education, it's schooling at home, it's virtual health care. If we're going to compete in the 21st century, investments on that part to ensure everyone can access uh, broadband, really important. And the theme of buy local keeps coming back again and again because buying local, clicking local, taking that extra step, not everything has to be bought on Amazon. And, and the more you can support your local businesses, um, the more we get our main streets back uh, and, and support our local communities. Mentioned business confidence a moment ago, Rocco. Is there more confidence amongst businesses for the second half of the year that uh, once the vaccine eventually starts to uh, roll out, do we believe that uh, we're going to start to see at least the beginnings, if not a real recovery in the second half of 2021 for a lot of businesses? No question, but you've put uh, your finger on the key issue. It's got to roll out, and clearly... Uh, we've been having some supply bumps in the road, significant ones potentially, um, and and so that that is key. Think about it. Both the federal and provincial government uh, have set a goal of by the end of uh, of September getting to so-called uh, you know herd immunity levels, which are somewhere between 70 and 80 percent. So you think about what that means in Ontario alone. That's roughly 8.5 million people with two doses, or in the case of some of these potential future vaccines, one. To get to that level by, by the end of September, we need to be vaccinating 90,000 Ontarians a day, every day, starting today. And yesterday we did about 9,000. Now that's largely because of supply, but we need to be doing 10 times as much uh, and every day that that's delayed pushes that light at the end of the tunnel and makes that tunnel longer. You know, we talk about the vaccine and supply and lack thereof and literally it costing lives. And that, of course, is the most important thing, as it should be. But the delay of the supply of the vaccine, is it also life or death for a lot of businesses? It's lives and livelihoods, as we say at the uh, at the chamber. We've lost. Uh, thousands of businesses already across Canada, and every day we lose more because people are accumulating debt. And this the second lockdown has been, in some respects, even more devastating than the first because at least the first time around there was some capacity to take on some borrowing. Now people are in over their heads and they're starting to make the calculation that, quite frankly, um, it's cheaper to just hand over the keys and uh, and be done with it. Uh, and that would be scarring for our economy and make the recovery far slower than it need be. So finally, Rocco, I wanted to ask you about uh, Mayor Tory's uh, comments he made uh, yesterday in which he essentially said it's time to start thinking about reopening the city. Uh, your thoughts? We always should be thinking about how to do it safely. One key thing that we need to be doing much more with is rapid testing because, yes, the vaccine is important. That's going to take time. What we need to do versus total lockdown is to really surgically be able to understand where the cases are, how they spread. We need much more testing. If we're able to do that, we can 
open up and keep open larger swaths of the economy and start cutting back on um, uh, on those losses and the and the and the bankruptcies. Because at the end of the day, yes, the government programs are good. We're delighted that the province is putting out a number of grant programs as opposed to more loans now. But it's 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 not enough compared to being open and having the cash register ring. Yeah. Do you know what the metric is, Rocco? I mean, I've heard we got to get below a thousand cases a day before they'll consider easing the restrictions in the lockdown. Uh, what's your understanding there at the chamber? Well, um, look, we're we're trying to understand, and obviously they're going to be looking region by region because the thousand you're looking at, you know, province wide. Uh, and some areas have uh, far fewer cases. They have to make sure they have the capacity to take it if, if uh, suddenly there's a surge. But that's why we need to put, it's not just the number of cases, it's rolling out that testing, tracking and tracing capacity so that we can do this smartly. What we don't want is what, what happened last time is, okay, the numbers go down, people think, okay, we've solved this, you go out, everybody's happy, the numbers start coming back. There can be a third wave without mass vaccination. So we need those pieces in place. The technology is now there. The, the, the rapid tests are being put out. We need to start applying them. And we're, you know, we're very excited by that prospect to be able to do it safely because you're right. We have to save lives first and foremost. We have to do this in an intelligent way. Um, an intelligent way, and testing, tracking, and tracing is going to be a big part of that, along with the vaccinations. All right, going to leave it there for now. Rocco, appreciate it as always. Stay well. Stay positive and test negative. There is Rocco Rossi, President and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce.